the San Francisco Experience Podcast, brought to you by Jim Herlihy, independent commentary from a Silicon Valley perspective for a global audience, featuring newsmakers, thought leaders, and authors. Season 24, Episode 10, was China behind Sam Altman's ousting, talking with Dr. Pippa Momgren. Sam Altman, the founder and CEO of OpenAI, which created ChatGPT, has become the face of artificial intelligence. A wonderkind at 38 years old, he's a high-energy evangelist for AI with a global profile. So it came as a shock when he was unceremoniously fired as CEO of the company he founded on Friday, November 17th. His fall came without warning, but after 96 hours of two replacement CEOs, a near mutiny by the company's 700 employees, and the installation of a new board... Sam was back as CEO on November 22nd. What happened and why? With us today to shed light on this debacle is Dr. Pippa Momgren. She joins us from her office in London. Hello, Pippa, and welcome to the show. Hello. Pippa, let me take a moment to talk about your background. You're a tech entrepreneur, and you serve as a senior advisor to the Monaco Foundry, which is a European startup incubator. Your most recent book, The Infinite Leader, won the International Press Award for Best Book on Leadership in 2021. And you worked at the White House for President George W. Bush as special assistant to the president. You hold a master's and a doctorate in international relations from the London School of Economics. And your career bridges high-tech, government, and leadership. We're glad to have you with us, Pippa. And again, thank you for joining us from London. Thank you for having me. Pippa, what happened to Sam Altman? Let's back up for a moment. The way that traditional observers see this is as a leadership struggle because they care about what's going to happen to the share price. So they just want to know who's in charge. And that's why all the articles were really focused on that piece. But I come from the world of geopolitics. And so I look at a very different angle and say, hmm, what was Sam Altman really doing? And the answer is he had just announced that they'd made a potentially historic breakthrough using a methodology called QSTAR, which is based off of Q tables, but basically something that got the staff of OpenAI talking about the possibility of a really world-changing breakthrough, and maybe even one that might threaten the future of humanity. That it was that serious. But even that was not the real driver. I think the real driver was there was a realization in the defense and intelligence community that Altman was trying to build much more than an AI. He is trying to build an AI supply chain. Now, let me explain what does that look like. Mm -hmm. First of all, he seems to have been in talks with Johnny Ives, who famously designed the iPhone that we all know and love. Mm -hmm. And those talks have been apparently supported by my associate son, the head of SoftBank, yes, who is very much in the world of semiconductor chips because of a stake in ARM. And they are talking about working very closely with a very critical semiconductor chip-producing company called Cerebrus Systems. Yes. Now, most people don't understand what Cerebrus is about, but 
it's really important for decades and decades we've been focused on miniaturizing silicon chips so that they would fit into your iphone but now they do and now cerebrus is going the opposite way their chips are the size of a dinner plate mm -hmm. they're massive but they can do trillions of transactions on one chip vastly exceeding the capability of any single chip made by any competitors including nvidia and Cerebrus, along with these guys, they all envisage not just making individual chips, but clusters of chips, which Cerebrus has already demonstrated works, which provides a supercomputing capacity that hasn't been seen before in the West. And then they want to build Cerebrus supercomputers. So now we're talking about everything from a smartphone to the supercomputing computational capacity behind it. And then there was discussion that they were all interested in doing a deal with IX Robotics in Norway. Now, IX Robotics in Norway make humanoid robots. And that would imply that basically Altman's not just trying to make a breakthrough AI, he's trying to put it inside a container. And that container potentially be a humanoid robotic. And now you begin to see that the supply chain is a much bigger deal than just a single AI breakthrough. Now, the reason government would have been really interested in all this is because it appears, you know, I can't prove, but it appears that he was involved in fundraising efforts in the Middle East and in Asia and in collaboration with some organizations that are incubators of AI technology that might be perceived by the U.S. authorities to be, let's say, the wrong people to work with. Mm -hmm. Or we are in a very confrontational, tricky environment between particularly the U.S. and China. And there is a race in technology in many ways. We're in a race to the moon, for example, and mm -hmm. we're in a race to AI and many different aspects. Supercomputing super is another. So when the authorities start to see Sam Altman is raising money from the very people that they view as their opponents, no doubt that starts to set alarm bells off. Plus, this AI supply chain that I'm describing would definitely be a threat to NVIDIA. And remember that it's not just that industry depends on NVIDIA. You know, they make the fastest supercomputers in the West. Mm -hmm. But the entire nuclear defense system of the United States completely depends upon NVIDIA products. So now there is a challenge from Cerebrus. And some people will say, well, Cerebrus is never going to knock NVIDIA out of business. But I think there are a lot of people inside the semiconductor sector who say, well, actually, you watch when Cerebrus does their IPO, it's an NVIDIA killer. Like mm -hmm. NVIDIA is really going to have to catch up with the innovations that Cerebrus has made. So now we have a deeper national security concern, which is that the very physical hardware and AI infrastructure that we totally depend on in the West or in the United States is going to be under threat from what Altman is trying to build. And then add that these, these IX robotics are potentially a huge threat to Tesla because Tesla's in the business of creating these robotics, mainly for building in re remote, difficult, hard places like space. 
And let's add to this, just so we're clear, we already have a situation where through 3D printing processes and laser sintering, you can construct self-assembling, self-replicating robotics that can be driven by artificial intelligence providing the direction of their activities. And so does do the U.S. authorities want a competitor to both NVIDIA and Tesla? Mm -hmm. This is an interesting question, so maybe not. So suddenly, then what seems to have, and then there, there are more pieces to the puzzle. I could add in, you know, we cannot ignore that, that Biden and Xi met only really two, two and a half days before Altman is summarily fired, right? Right. And it's a very historic meeting because the U.S. and China have been absolutely at each other's throats. And they agree at this meeting to many concessions for each other mainly because they both realize that geopolitics is becoming too expensive for both sides. The Chinese economy is up the creek. We got negative foreign direct investment in China, which has never been seen in recorded history. Um, and the U.S. is also finding it's really expensive to keep U.S. forces on high alert for events around the world, which in the American view are being helped by the Chinese. Mm -hmm. Maybe not directly, but there's a lot of talk about was China behind the software that would have been implemented through Iran's new North 3 satellite, which only went up like two weeks before the events in Gaza. And was that helpful? You know, did that give Hamas state or superpower level intelligence? And so there's this whole thing about the inner circle thinks there's a war and mm -hmm. it's flat out with China and that it's also getting too expensive. So they meet to agree to like cool things off. And then there are rumors and it is only rumors. There are rumors that Xi himself says to Biden, well, by the way, your brilliant AI guy is also doing deals with some of my guys as in, in his relentless search for data maybe some of his partnerships might be with organizations that belong to my world. Mm -hmm. Now, again, we don't have any proof of this. There's some rumors of this. But it's an interesting idea that does China want Sam Altman to be successful? Answer, no. They want to get there first. Right. And they see him building this incredible supply chain as well. And they're like, do they want that to happen? Let me just jump in there. You've laid out the case uh, very clearly, very strongly. Let me just run through the chronology here because during sure. during November, of course, we had the APEC conference here in San Francisco. And that's when Biden and Xi came here. But let's just run through the chronology. President Biden, President Xi both arrived in San Francisco for the APEC conference on November 14th. They met down at Filoli, south of San Francisco, on November 15th. They had a four-hour summit and we know for a fact that one of the items on the agenda was a discussion of artificial intelligence, number one. Number two, on November 16th, the day after that summit, on November 16th, Sam Altman spoke to the APEC CEO group. There are two tracks to APEC. There's the official track, which is the head of state track, which is APEC. And then there's this like Davos-like group for CEOs called apex ceo sam altman was a featured key speaker on the 16th and at that apex ceo meeting he referenced this new breakthrough find in ai 
The very next day, he's fired. On the 17th, he's fired. Let's come back to the board because you're an entrepreneur. You've worked with startups. You know the dynamics of board, board dynamics. Let's look at that board and what their reasons were for firing Sam and who was actually on that board. Again, it's interesting. The initial story was that it was the chief or science officer of OpenAI, Ilya Sutskever, I think it is pronounced, who basically fomented the ouster of Sam Altman. But on second look, no. It looks like they had disagreements about a number of things, and one of them was Sutskever had a view that OpenAI should be involved in what they're calling effective altruism. Mm -hmm. In other words, prompting better outcomes for the planet and for humanity. And Sam Altman had been very clear and had done a press release from OpenAI that said, we have nothing to do with effective altruism. We are here to make profits and, and solve problems, and that's what we do. So there was a an issue between them, but it does look more like Helen Toner, who is on the board and now is not on the board, was the real instigator of it. But again, you know, these are internal political dynamics, very difficult to prove exactly. But the word is that she was more the source of the of the ouster than the chief scientist. And it was fascinating that the day after the, it became clear that the 700-plus staff said, well, we're going wherever Sam's going. Mm -hmm. That Then Ilya Suskever came out and said, I, I'm sorry, I made a mistake, I love this company. You know, <laughs> So it, something there hints that it wasn't him. Of course, a board can fire a CEO for any reason at all. A CEO serves yeah. at the pleasure of the board. Now, one of the things the board was very quick to do a few hours after the initial firing, they came out and stated that he had not been fired for malfeasance. But again, a board can fire a CEO for any reason at all because the CEO serves at the pleasure of the board. Now, in this particular case, you, you mentioned Helen Toner, who was at that time a board member. She also serves on a, an entity called the CSET, the Center for Security and Emerging Technology. She's director of strategy of that entity, and that entity is housed at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. And a month before, in October of this year, she had written uh, an academic paper in which she compared and contrasted the, the strategies of uh, OpenAI and Anthropic, which is also another artificial intelligence entity, uh, about the launch of their competing AI, ChatGTP type. And so she praised Anthropic for being a little more circumspect and cautious, and she was somewhat critical of OpenAI for not being as cautious and circumspect as Anthropic. Apparently, there was there was a dispute then between Altman and Toner. And of course, when you're when you're on the board of a company, you don't wash your dirty linen in public. If you have an issue with management, you take that issue to management, you resolve it at that level, and if you can't resolve it at that level, you resign. But in her case, she actually went public with this, and Sam was critical of that, and that was in October. So 
so you had the dynamic of a board member who took a very different view as regards the speed with which ChatGPT had been launched versus its competitor. And I might add that Anthropic, the competitor, had originally been part of OpenAI and grew out of OpenAI. Talk to me about that and, and that dynamic, because she also is an advocate of effective altruism. And that's another point of disagreement, I guess you would say, between her and Sam Altman. That center at Georgetown does, you know, excellent work, but they're very much involved in the whole defense and intelligence space and would be very aware of the geopolitical implications of having this not only super intelligence being constructed at perhaps a speed that would create some worries, but again, an entire supply chain that might affect many other sort of sub-areas that are of critical national importance. Like, as just a quick example, also one of the collaborating firms that Altman was negotiating with is deeply involved in the building of what they call CBDCs, Central Bank Digital Currencies and constructing basically these digital cross-border payments mm -hmm. platforms. Mm -hmm. You know, that has, that's hugely sensitive because that's all about gathering everybody's, not just financial data, but once it's on your phone, it's collecting all your data, really. Not only that, but large language models. Now, it turns out OpenAI had just announced a partnership with a group out of the Emirates called G42, G42 was behind the Inception Institute, and they had just released something called JAIS, which is the largest open source Arabic langu large language model in the world. It's a 13 billion parameter model, and it's trained on creating a 395 billion token Arabic and English data set. The bottom line is these data sets are much bigger than anything we have in the West. So will it learn faster? Will it learn more? Yes. And this is about the realization that Sam Altman may be American, and Sam Altman's company, OpenAI, isn't even a company, by the way. It's a nonprofit. It's American. But can one control who, how it operates and who it collaborates with and where the learning happens? And what happens if the biggest breakthrough in AI in the course of human history isn't in English? What if it's in Arabic? What if it isn't with the backing of U.S. money, but it's the backing of money out of the Middle East and China? And by the way, just to be clear, we are in the midst of the, the U.S. authorities in implementing a kind of, I'll just say this and I'll explain it, reverse CFIUS. Now, CFIUS is a process that involves Congress reviewing whether critical, critical technology in the U.S. can be sold to foreigners. But now they're talking reverse CFIUS, and that is, should foreigners be able to invest in what Congress deems to be critical technology? Mm -hmm. And therefore, this would fall straight in that bucket of is it so critical that you don't want China and various investors out of the Middle East to be the effective owners of it? And all of this raises the really profound questions of 
does government have any control? And the answer is not really, because, you know, in the old days, you assumed that somebody like Sam Altman would be, you could catch their activity under what they call ITAR, which is the restrictions on the sale of high-tech abroad, right? The international traffic and arms regulations. But this is interesting because Altman is not taking existing technology that mm -hmm. is covered by ITAR. He's inventing it. And the thing is, you can't restrict his brain. You can't take away his passport. He is operating in a global world that doesn't have any borders. He doesn't care where the data comes from that his large language models are going to learn from. He doesn't have any sense that it matters whether you have Chinese investors or American investors, because after all, we live in public markets where the minute you have an IPO, the ownership is going to change literally every nanosecond. Mm -hmm. So who cares who the investors are? Meanwhile, government looks at this and is terrified to see that the best and brightest mind on the subject, on the most important subject in the world, arguably, quantum computing, supercomputing, AI, robotics, the marriage of these things, the production of chips, this person is already behaving as if borders don't matter. And I think that that must have played a part in the board's decision to remove him. And what it reveals is a tremendous naivety on the part of people in the defense and intelligence sector because they're not understanding you can't fire this guy because, as they found out, the 700-plus staff said, well, we're going with Sam, and we can raise money from anywhere with Sam in charge, and that was true. And so I wonder whether part of his rehiring was a kind of admission of, well, if we can't stop him, then we might as well have a seat at the table. That, that certainly, yeah. <laughs> with, with the appointment of uh, Larry Summers, that would certainly seem to be the case. If you can't beat him, join him. So basically bring yeah. in bring in a minder, bring in a, uh, a trusted safe pair of hands. Larry uh, Summers, of course, was president of Harvard. He was secretary of the treasury under President Clinton. He's a regular contributor, almost daily contributor to Bloomberg News, the business news service. So yeah, it looks as though uh, the safe pair of hands, if you can't beat him, join him, have him, have him there in place. There is one other thing. It does appear that Larry Summers was deeply interested in this concept of Q-tables many decades ago. And like I said, Q-tables are the origin of this Q-star AI process that Altman is talking about. It's basically just a kind of way of arranging data. It's a way of processing data. But what's important is it, it probably does matter that Summers had been interested in this subject for a very long time. So we have to factor mm -hmm. in, of all the people, they happen to land on someone who actually has their origins in this same logic process. And one of the things about this Q-table approach is it's very much about what they call reinforcement learning, which is if you want, let's say, public health to improve, mm -hmm. it's, you can't really tell people, stop eating ice cream because they just won't do it. But you can try to implement systems where they're more encouraged to have a protein bar than a candy bar, let's say. Mm -hmm. And that's very much, I think, the direction of intellectual travel that 
Summers had because, of course, being in public policy, he's interested, how do we optimize public policy outcomes? As a result of this debacle, the board announced that there would be an investigation into what led to Sam's firing and rehiring. Do you hold out any hope for that investigation to ever see the light of day? Uh, no. <laughs> no, because no, you know, look, this is not about that. What's more important now, what does it mean for the world if this new reinforced construct that Altman has, he is now supported, he is in charge, can he arrive at his vision of a fully integrated AI supply chain happen faster? And if it can, then not only will we be facing a powerful AI, but the whole supply chain around it. And then the question is, well, what does that mean for the existing suppliers of AI computer chips like NVIDIA? What does it mean for the existing supercomputing uh, facilities? Like, do we now have to really think about building a... Um, optical quantum computer like the Chinese have, which is, you know, billions of times faster than anything NVIDIA is producing. And surely you can see that it will make sense that Altman will want to collaborate with the Chinese because they have the largest data collection process Mm -hmm. of any nation in the world. So I guess what I'm saying is not only is the market not clocked, that this isn't about the AI itself alone. It's about the whole supply chain of supporting what that AI will be able to do. But it's also about which data will be brought into it and where will that be sold. I mean, that's another thing. This isn't just about what is Altman going to create. And he may be creating it with altruistic purposes in Mm -hmm. mind. Mm -hmm. The question is, who's going to buy it? And what are they going to do with an AI that's integrated in everything from a Johnny Ives-designed smartphone all the way to a Norwegian humanoid robotic? I caught a conversation that he was having, that Sam Altman was having. He talked about the the iPhone. He talked about uh, laptops, etc., and what the ideal hardware was to deliver ChatGTP and uh, and its successors to the public and and he was he was coy well he was not only coy i guess he he's still he's of two minds as to what shape that hardware should take on the one hand you talked about Johnny Ives and the iPhone talked about the humanoid like robotics in uh, in Norway where do you see if wearing your your technology hat and futurist hat where do you see that device headed is it more like an iphone is it more like the humanoid robotic what do you think okay so we have to back up a little and remember that mark andreessen gave a speech i can't remember i think it was up in 2012 or something where he said software is eating the world and the idea was that software was investable but hardware was not and hardware we would send to china and Hardware was for not serious people because that was easy and anybody could copy hardware. And so the West got out of hardware and they got into software. Then geopolitics came back and suddenly the trade barriers between the U.S. and China went up and the West realized we have to make our own physical stuff again. We can't be importing Mm -hmm. 
hardware and we don't want our hardware like our computer chips going to China or many other parts of the world. So we got to start building this ourselves. Plus, Taiwan became a central issue, and we basically moved the Taiwanese chip production to Texas and Arizona. So now the U.S. and the West are in hardware again. Now, Sam Altman sees that and understands that the hardware we're building now is way more sophisticated Mm -hmm. than the old hardware because it's not just hardware anymore. And I've had to make up a new word for this new category of what it is because it's not hardware, it's not software It's both integrated seamlessly together, and I call that shardware. And that shardware is not about a single device. It's about a series of devices that are all seamlessly integrated through the same software. So when you ask me, is it about a smartphone, or is it about a humanoid robotic, or is it about a self-assembling, self-replicating robotic on the lunar surface? My answer is yes. It is about all of them being in total sync and working in collaboration or driven by a very sophisticated AI that doesn't mind which way the idea gets executed. The idea is to combine the AI with a physical capacity to Mm -hmm. act. And that may be through a little phone in your hand or it may be through a humanoid robotic. It may be many things. But now we're talking about something much bigger than pieces of a supply chain. We're talking about an AI that has control over an entire supply chain. And just to finish, I want to be clear because I am very optimistic about what the great benefits of AI are going to be. I am definitely in sort of techno-optimist camp. But Mm -hmm. I think if you substitute the word AI with the word car, you start to understand we're going to make amazing cars. And what Altman is suggesting is a Ferrari. This thing is going to just be on a different scale than the Subaru that the family's been driving Uh for many years, right? And that Ferrari um, can do phenomenal things for mankind. But like a car, a Ferrari, you can kill somebody with it too. So then the question is, how souped up is this thing? How powerful is the AI? And we're giving it you know, all these tools. And this is where you get the debate with Yan LeCun from Meta, who says, you guys don't need to worry about any of this. AI will never do anything that you don't want it to do because you'll just turn it off. Mm-hmm. And the techno pessimist will say, well, but once it's so powerful... Once that Q-star or whichever, whichever language they end up in produces a, a, a level of AI that has intelligence beyond humans, then we might not be able to turn it off. And this is, I think, what's causing all the indigestion and machinations and worry and concern. And so you can see it's a whole different set of worries than just... Who's in charge of what will happen to the share price mm-hmm. once OpenAI someday has an IPO? Well, Pippa, in the remaining few minutes of the podcast, what are your closing thoughts as regards next step for Sam Altman? Of course, he's here in San Francisco. He's a couple of miles away from where I sit at this point. Cerebrus that you referenced is located a few miles down the road in Silicon Valley. What are your closing thoughts, particularly for Sam Altman and his next steps? 
I think that we already know he's now going to build this integrated supply chain of AI chips, AI computers and supercomputers, AI devices, AI robotics. And this is the future. It's now going to happen faster than before. I have a question like where is all the data coming from that will drive the AI to learn? And if he continues on the path that it looks like he's been on, then it's quite likely that these breakthroughs aren't even going to happen in the English language. They're going to happen in languages where there are a greater where there's a greater populace. And by the way, just to be clear, this could be amazing for the world. Like as we use one example, which is medicines. Do we look right now? How do medicines get created in the United States? The FDA approves it after you have clinical trials. Clinical trials mainly involve white males. They don't even involve white females. And they definitely don't proportionately involve people from various racial backgrounds. So are those medicines ideal for someone who's, say, African-American or some other racial background, the answer is maybe not. Maybe they're not even ideal for females. If this proceeds, we're going to see places like the Emirates and even China become central to the creation and testing of new forms of medicines and drugs that do use diversity, that do take into account a wider range of the human condition than the U.S. Uh, regulatory establishment. And does the rest of the world want those medicines and drugs? I would argue, yes, they do. And so this begins a whole new competition in the regulatory space, whether the regulators like it or not. They're going to have to also start thinking more globally. So if nothing else, Sam Altman has already accomplished the recognition that borders and boundaries of geopolitics have been rendered not meaningless, but a whole lot less significant by the kind of technology and thinking that he brings to the table. Pippa, how can our listeners follow you? Well, I have a Substack column called Dr. Pippa's Pen and Podcast, and I am very active on both Twitter and LinkedIn. I will be launching a podcast in the coming year, so that's probably the list for now. Very exciting. What is your uh, what is your Twitter handle? It's at Dr. Pippa M with just D-R-P-I-P-P-A-M because nobody can pronounce my last name, Malmgren, <laughs> except Swedes. <laughs> right. <laughs> Actually, the spelling of the last name is M-A-L-M-G-R-E-N, Malmgren. Yeah, that's it. Very good. Once again, Pippa, thank you so much for being with us today. Very insightful comments. You've taken us way outside of the discourse that we've had up to this point on the Sam Altman debacle. And I want to thank you for that and for informing our listeners. Well, thank you so much. And I'm glad what I wrote on this sparked your imagination and led you to reach out. I appreciate it. And for our listeners, today's episode is number 477. The San Francisco Experience is carried on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, 18 platforms, with listeners in 60 countries. Feedspot has recently recognized us as a top 25 California news podcast. This has been the San Francisco Experience podcast with Jim Herlihy coming to you from San Francisco. 